Hey, welcome to Saturday Night Night School. It's a little after 11 o'clock, so we will see if we hit midnight. We're coming at you live, and we might hit midnight. No, you're not going to know. You wouldn't know. I could tell you it's any time of day right now. I could tell you that it's 8 o'clock in the morning, and you have no idea. It's an honor system. If you listen to this show, it's sort of an honor system where you have to trust that I'm telling the truth about the time and date of the recording that you're hearing. No, but it's nice when something happens that confirms your theory or confirms something you had previously said. In this case, last night, where I did the episode, I guess it was yesterday, uh, about Wiggers, which I, you know, it's kind of like it's becoming the new Star Wars. Wiggers are the new Star Wars where it's something I kind of have to talk about once a month. And in this case, you're going to get two days worth. You're getting two days of shows talking about Wiggers. Because as I was walking home, I went on a walk tonight and I was walking kind of close to my neighborhood and I saw a guy up ahead and I could see baggy gym shorts. I could see a wigger from a mile away. I mean, really, that's how easy it is for me, where it was like, even though he was like, you know, a couple like a stoplight and like a couple blocks away, just from his shape alone, I could tell there was a wigger approaching. And this time of night, you know, my neighborhood is kind of near the edge of town. So there's not a lot of people walking this time of night. And with the whole like Corona vibe world we're living in, this part of town shuts down really early. Like it's rare to see anybody. It's rare to see many cars on the road after 10 o'clock. It's rare to see any people out walking, even on a nice night. So, but I could, you know, I could see from with my laser vision eyes, I could, I detected a wigger up in the shadows up ahead. And when I saw the gym shorts and just saw his walk and everything, I was like, I know what this is. I know what, what's approaching. And I said yesterday in the show, I, because I, I'd walked, yesterday's show was also prompted by walking by a wigger. Walking by a wigger. Just, it's a theme here. But uh, the one yesterday didn't say anything to me, but it proved my theory that's been ongoing for years that, you know, most wiggers you see in 2021 are either drug addicts or they're mentally ill. And tonight proved that too, because this guy, sure enough, was out of his gourd. Like I could just tell, you know, along with being able to identify the type of person he was, I could tell from a ways off that he was out of his gourd. And I was a little nervous, to be honest, you know, walking in these shadow, shadowy streets. Because as I said yesterday, you never know if there's going to be an interaction. That's the interesting thing about Wiggers is if you see one approaching, like not not even like approaching you directly, but if you're like walking up the street and there's one walking in your direction, even though it's just like a total coincidence, you're just you could be two ships passing in the night, there's a much higher chance that the wigger is going to say something to you. For whatever reason, they crave interaction. They crave they they need to say things to you. And tonight proved that because the one that I saw tonight, he mumbled something to me and he, he mumbled it. And I, I, I was, I thought he was asking for something cause I could hear a question and, uh, he said, I don't know if I'm getting it perfectly. Oh, God forbid that I misquote the wigger. God forbid I misquote the wigger who said something to me on the street tonight. About 20 minutes ago. I saw him about 20 minutes ago. So you're getting this hot off the stove. Uh, but he said something like, how does a polar bear get in the water? How does a polar bear get in the water? And I ha- he had to say it twice to me because I was legitimately curious. 
Like something about what he said made me actually stop and turn my head and say, what was that young man? What was that young man? Um, what was that young man? You wigger. What was that? No, but, uh, he, uh, he said it twice. He said, like, how does a polar bear get in the water? And I said, how? And he said, it breaks the ice. And I go, ha, 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 I gave him, like, a fake laugh. I, I, felt, I felt it deserved kind of a fake laugh. But I was like, yep. He, he marked all the boxes. Wigger, out of his mind. He, you know, he was talking so fast, too. I feel like he was on something. That's why I couldn't hear him the first time, is he said, he said, like, how does a polar bear get in the water so fast that I couldn't even tell what he was saying, and so I, he had to say it a second time, slower. But yeah, probably on something, out of his mind, wigger, and sure enough, there was an interaction. And I said that yesterday. You can go back and listen to yesterday's episode for more wigger talk, but I said yesterday, there's something about wiggers where it's like there's a, a significantly high chance that they're going to say something to you. They're going to interact with you in some way. And this one did. And I'm glad he did because it just proved that I'm right. Proved that all this study, all this analysis I've done of the Wigger subculture, I know what I'm talking about. And I feel like I do. And you know, some people don't like the word Wigger anymore. I, I think I've heard one person say that. But it seems like a word that's probably bad to say now. Nobody sat me down and told it told me that nobody sat me down and said hey eric you know get on the right side of history you, you can't say wigger anymore that's offensive nobody's told me that maybe i think i've heard one person express that but it wasn't a big thing i haven't heard a big movement about whether it's good or bad or okay i don't know if saying wigger can ruin your life yet or not what i can tell you is that that's what i grew up saying like i completely understand the argument now like when older people, like when your parents' generation would say something mildly offensive and you as a little indoctrinated grammar school child, you know, would say, hey, you can't say that anymore, dad. You can't say that anymore, mom. You know, when you would correct them and they would say, that's just what I learned growing up, you know. It wasn't even like a they were doing it out of spite. It was just sort of something got drilled in their head to refer to things a certain way. And it became mildly offensive. It's like Chinaman. Like, that's a good example where it's like, you know, at some point it became either a slur or people finally recognized that it was some kind of slur to call someone a Chinaman. But there are people who were using that and not in a deliberately offensive way. But there's like somebody's grandpa who was like, oh, I see uh, a lot of Chinamen going to school with you these days. Huh? You know, like and you say that's offensive, grandpa. And he's like, oh, it's just what I that's just what I knew growing up. You know, it doesn't even matter what the intent is. It's just that's what somebody grew up knowing. And for me, like the word wigger is how I grew up knowing those. It's what I grew up knowing those people to be. And nobody has given me a suitable replacement. Like give me another word and I'll be happy to use another word. If wigger is offensive to say at this point, give me another word and I'll use it if it's a good word. Like I've talked a lot on this show about how I don't like a lot of the words I say. Like, I don't like a lot of the words that I was taught, uh, you know, I, I still haven't found a great word to describe, like, going to the bathroom. You know, the, like the certain, uh, the specific ways that you go to the bathroom. I don't like the words that we use, but I haven't really found a good replacement. The word selfie is the one I always use. Like, the word selfie is awful. 
and I'm glad that I resisted using it for years. But hey, if you can't beat them, join them. And I had to join them with the word selfie because there's literally no other word for it now. And you're going to waste tons of time trying to explain the kind of picture they took when you say selfie and someone goes, oh, you should have said that sooner. You should have said selfie sooner so I knew exactly what you were talking about. It's kind of like wigger, where it's like, how do you describe wigger without using the word wigger? Because you could say, oh, a black guy who wants to be white. That doesn't describe it. That's kind of the origin. Like the origin of a wigger, yeah, that's, that's where the saying comes from. That's where the slang term comes from. That's the basic idea. But that really doesn't capture it because these things mutate. Like, that's like saying, it's like when you hear like an interview with Motorhead and like Lemmy's like, oh, well, we wanted to be like the Beatles. You know, it's like you're not the Beatles, though. It's like you're never going to say that Motorhead is the Beatles. You're never going to say that like Motorhead, oh, that band that was trying to sound like the Beatles, even though that's what they'll tell you. And I don't know if this is right. I don't know my Motorhead history, but it seems like, I mean, that's what Black Sabbath said. Let's just go with Black Sabbath so I'm actually right. Motorhead probably said it too, but uh, Black Sabbath, for example, like you'll see an interview with them where they're like, oh, we were just really into the Beatles. We were just really into the Beatles over there in England, you know, like we're English, they're English. Uh, we just wanted to sound like the Beatles. And of course, like Black Sabbath, you're never going to be like, oh, yeah, they, the band that wanted to be the Beatles. I know them. It's like, that's what wiggers are like, where it's like, yeah, the origin is basically white kids who wanted to be like, you know, rap you know, uh, hip hop culture. I don't even know. It doesn't even really get into that because wiggers weren't the people who would turn around and be like, yo, like I'm just into hip hop culture. Like wiggers didn't actually have a justification for being the way they were. Like other people who were like actually into rap and hip hop, like would tell you like, oh, I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to do anything. I'm just into hip hop culture, man. That's what some people would do. But like wiggers didn't even go that far. Like, they didn't even go to the whole, like, hip-hop culture aspect of it. They just kind of, I don't know, they just became that. And they didn't have some convoluted explanation for it. And it's not as simple as them just wanting to be black, even though in the same way the Beatles influenced Black Sabbath, like, that might be the basic idea. And that was kind of what we understood them to be. But the reality is, like, things mutate. Like, yeah, a bunch of kids wanting to sound like the Beatles mutate into Black Sabbath or Motorhead, which mutates into something else. And Wiggers mutated into their own thing. Like, there is something distinct about, and I would call it a subculture. I would call it a brotherhood. Because it's not like a... It's not like you, like, like all the Wiggers would get together. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, while they were often friends, like in school... It's not like they all went to a certain concert that only Wiggers attended. Like in high school, like the punk kids or the hardcore kids, like they would go to events where everybody else was like them. Like they would go to shows, concerts where everybody else basically dressed like them and was into the same things. But Wiggers, I mean, I guess for one, their interests were mostly mainstream. So it's like they were just into mainstream rap. Like none of them were into anything that was particularly niche. And I guess that's what's so strange about it is that everything about who they were was mainstream. Like it wasn't an underground subculture. It wasn't a subculture of people who care a lot about some like niche interest or even like one particular part of hip hop. They were just into like whatever was on MTV. 
in uh, or on like we had a, a radio station cube. It's called Cube K U B E, and it was the hip hop and R and B station, and that's what those guys listened to. They would just listen to Cube, but it was very mainstream stuff. It's like you'd hear a lot of Tupac, whatever was popular in R and B at that time. And so these these kids, it's not like they were, and they weren't all stupid either. I mean, I don't want to give the impression that they were all just you know these Neanderthals. Some of them were actually sharp, you know. Some of them. You know, actually, I feel like actually had something going on, but for whatever reason, this thing really appealed to them. And uh, it's it's strange for me to look back on it, though, you know, again and again, apparently. We're doing two episodes in a row, two episodes in two days about Wiggers again. But anyway, just uh, the point is, like, I don't know, that, that term's offensive, I guess. Nobody's really given me a clear memo on it. But I don't have... Give me a replacement word. Give me something else to work with here that accurately describes them. Because that's what I was getting at. It's just that, like, they mutated into this their own thing. And just saying, like, white guy who wants to be black or white rapper or wannabe white gangster, you know, like, whatever way you want to describe them isn't going to accurately capture them. Whereas the word wigger does. The word wigger captures every facet of this mutant strain of humanity and... Whatever description you want to add to that, it gets difficult because you, then you have to describe every variation. Like Miles and I had a drug dealer here in Olympia for a little while. And he was like this just kind of like weird nerdy guy with glasses. But, you know, everybody gets into drugs. Anybody can get into drugs. And he had a guy who lived above him who was a schizophrenic wigger. And like I said, I'm I'm not making this up that there's a high rate of mental illness. I swear to God, there's a high rate of mental illness in the Wigger subculture. And there was a schizophrenic Wigger who lived above Keith. This guy's name was Keith. And he, he sold us weed, but he sold other drugs. He was, every time he went over there, it was like him and his girlfriend had like secretly come down from heroin or his girlfriend was on ecstasy. There was always something like that going on, but the schizophrenic wigger who only smoked weed, but he would come down and, you know, because he's schizophrenic, like weed sends him even further off into the stratosphere. And this guy, his name was something else. Like his name was Josh uh, or something, you know, I don't know this guy's name, but uh, he wanted to be known as Blaze. And the dealer would always say like, oh, hey, Josh, like I got your bag here. And he was like, no, 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 it's Blaze. Call me Blaze. Like, he was adamant. This schizophrenic wigger was adamant that his dealer call him Blaze and not his real name. Because he had decided that he was Blaze. And there was one time we were there, and we were just sitting there, you know, and we were probably stoned because you'd smoke with these people. And then you were so out of your element. You were so filled with, like, anxiety. and But still, you're, you want to kind of observe this, too, because you're seeing stuff that you wouldn't see otherwise. But you, still, you're stoned, like, sitting at some stranger's kitchen table while he sells weed to a schizophrenic wigger who wants to be known as Blaze. And this is a true story. This isn't just some example, although it is that, too. It is. It's. This is also, like, an archetypal scenario, you know? Uh, <laughs> and uh, one time Blaze is like... I want you to write me a prescription for this. I want you to write me a prescription for this. And Keith's like, ha ha, really? And he's like, yeah, because you're my doc. Because he started to call this guy his doctor because he was an unmedicated schizophrenic. And so he started like calling Keith his doctor, Dr. Keith. 
and he and he we were over there and he's like i want you to actually write me a prescription and like just on a scrap of paper they wrote like two lines like one for the dealer to sign his signature and the other for blaze to sign his signature and uh he actually signed it blaze and it was this nice little like performance you know what was nice about it is you got to watch this little weird performance because that's like the thing about wiggers too is they're always performing like yeah i can get into the whole like everybody's larping thing that i go on the, the annoying tangent where it's like everybody's really just faking it everybody's really just larping you know, even that aside, like wiggers are always performing on a whole other level, like the way they walk, their mannerisms, the way they talk. I do believe it becomes second nature and normal to them, but it's so over the top because, as I said before, they're like clowns. There's something clownish about them. But yet they're like a clown. I mean, they're basically like like a stupid, like evil clown idea. Like they're they're like a clown who is really goofy and over the top and you don't take them seriously but they have like a spiked mallet they'll hit they'll hit you with that's like that's what a wigger basically is it's like an evil clown but yeah anyway i'm glad that this my my two interactions with wiggers in the last two days have given me some material here because and not and not material as in like comedic material because this is this is sociology people you know, people haven't thought about these guys nearly enough. And uh, it's not as simple as like, oh, they were just these guys in the late 90s, early 2000s who really wanted to be black. That doesn't cut it. That description doesn't cut it. If you really want to know what a wigger is, you have to get into the nitty gritty. You have to have seen a few blazes operate in your lifetime. You have to have known these people. You have to have actually seen like somebody become one. Because that's the weird thing is how quickly someone can become one. Like I had a really close friend. You know, I mentioned before, like yesterday, uh, none of the Wiggers were my friends. But one of my good friends did become a Wigger after we stopped being friends. Or he was a skateboarder. He was into punk. He had a lot of issues. But he's one of the funniest kids I ever met. He was born in Canada to parents from Ireland and he ended up with triple citizenship and he like grew up part of his childhood in Ireland and he came here and he had he was on all kinds of medication kleptomaniac later became a, a legitimate criminal like he's been in and out of prison his entire adult life uh, but it, he uh, he started smoking weed and then very soon after the wigger emerged like, he, he got really into smoking pot, and that kind of put him with a whole new crowd of kids, because he was pretty young. Like, we were still in junior high, so it's like I was talking about yesterday. Like, even though most, even though, like, the hardest drug most of the Wiggers did in junior high was weed, the fact that they were as into weed at age 13 as they were, you know, was a dark sign of things to come, you know? It's like the fact that you could be that into weed then probably means you're going to get into some worse shit if you keep it up and that's kind of what happened with my friend where it's like he was just kind of this skateboarding kid troublemaker prankster he was a real prankster and then he started smoking pot and that kind of put him with these other kids and then next thing you knew he was committing crimes and wearing wigger outfits and talking like that it was the weirdest thing to see because uh, it happened so quickly 
And I think that's usually the case. I don't think very many people slowly transitioned into being Uyghurs. I think most of them, it was kind of an overnight process and permanent. Like that guy I'm talking about is still one. And he has mental illness. He has addiction issues. So, you know, so many of them fit that description. They're either addicts and or mentally ill. You know, there's a lot of that. You, you know, and, and I think that kind of matches like the whole like them being mentally ill thing. It's kind of why the evil clown thing makes sense. And I hesitate to say evil, but I'm just trying to like think of like what they make me think of. It's like a killer clown. It, it, you know, except instead of like running you over with like his monster truck clown car. He'll just start shit with you for no reason. You know, that's kind of like what the the Wigger evil clown the wigger killer clown let's go i like killer clown more than evil clown but yesterday i was going to make a connection because i i was talking about uh talking to those former mafia guys last week and i was going to make the i was i was actually going to kind of tie that knot i was going to make that segue make sense because one of the things about wiggers is that they're trying to act like tough guys. They're trying to act like gangsters. And you would often find out that they actually didn't come from a rough family background. You would find out in some cases that they actually came from, you know, a decent family and everything. It didn't make them less tough because it goes back to the whole wannabe thing that that guy Pablo I lived with told me when I was, when I was, uh, you know, a teenager and he was like, man, you got to watch out for the wannabes. Like, the real gangsters don't want anything to do with you, you know? That blew my mind at, like, age 14 or whatever that was. Because I was just like, oh, he's right. You know, that guy Pablo, you know, he let, he imparted that knowledge to me as a teenager. Because I had never really considered it up to that point. I had never really thought about the fact that it's a wannabe. It's someone who's trying to prove themselves who will fuck with you. And that's what Wiggers did. You know, they were very eager to prove themselves. So you actually had to worry about them more than you might somebody else regardless of their background even but like one of their big things was like acting tough and being a tough guy all the time meanwhile they look ridiculous like even by the standards of the time like i remember seeing like because this was a a moment in time when a lot of the wiggers had bowl cuts but they had they were gelled down to their head really heavily like they, they would put on a lot of gel and they might have just the top bleached they would have like the the bowl of the bowl cut bleached and then it would be parted hard down the middle. Just not a very attractive haircut at all. And I'm not even doing the whole like, Oh, nineties bowl cuts, huh? You know, I'm not even making a joke about bowl cuts themselves because I'm just, it, it, it looked so weird. Like they looked so weird and I knew it at the time too. I knew they looked weird at the time because I was just like, they often have a tan, like they're, they're the kind of guys who would like tan and then they have this bleached bowl cut where maybe just the bowl part of it is bleached. They might have an earring. They wear a lot of jewelry. They wear really baggy, expensive shirts, like polo shirts, polo sport, I mean, like Tommy Hilfiger. They wear incredibly baggy pants, sagged very low. And so they, they have this very weird look to them. But yet you're scared of them because they will start shit because they have something to prove. And so that was always the dynamic, like killer clowns. But, you know, I brought up the gangster thing yesterday because it's like that's kind of what those guys are trying to be. Like they think that they are being gangsters, like both in the rap sense as well as just 
street guy, tough guy. They they act like they're in the freaking mafia, and maybe they are. Maybe there was a, a wigger mafia. <laughs> I just didn't know about it. But normally in, in old school night schools, old night schools, uh, I would have made more of an effort to tie things together. That's something that's been lost to time. Is If you listen to early night schools, I'll pick like two topics, and I haven't listened to them. Just so you know, I haven't gone back and listened. But I, just, I, rem- I remember that I made it a point to do that, where if I was going to segue from one topic to another, I always wanted to have like some centerpiece that connected them. I'd be like, wiggers are like mafia members because... Wiggers secretly want to be tough street guys. You know, I would have had some segue, but that's out the window. I mean, this show has become such a, I mean, it's obviously just stream of consciousness. So any kind of continuity, any kind of segue, because I realize sometimes I do that where I'll be like, well, and and Wiggers remind me of this because, uh," and then I won't even ever actually explain why it made me think of this. I just start talking about that other thing, but oh, well, it's just what we do here. Uh, But this actually does kind of fit in too. Like speaking of like clowns, like killer clowns, um, just let me take a drag of this. Killer Clowns, uh, the other Killer Clowns that I grew up seeing were like glam metal bands. And I like that stuff. Like, I like glam metal. I wouldn't say, you know, I'm a metalhead and everything. I'm into metal, but I, you know, have been my entire life. But I don't even think of that stuff necessarily as metal. But yeah, when I listen to it, it is. Like, it's undeniably closer to metal than it is a lot of other things. That hair metal, glam, glam metal, like Sunset Strip. It's hard rock, you know, it's it's in this hard rock, heavy metal, pop kind of hybrid, and glam metal, hair metal, we know what that is, we know what that sounds like, there's no reason to really split hairs, um, but I was looking at pictures of those guys late last night, I stayed up way too late, and I was just looking at pictures of hair metal guys, early promo photos of different bands, like some pictures of those bands before they had a stylist, when they were just doing it for themselves, when they started out. And it was so fascinating to look at because these guys went for this tough guy thing. I mean, they're not that different from Wiggers in a way because they look so absurd. And they meant to, of course. Like, those those bands meant to be like, oh, hey, we're basically going to be women. But that's the strange thing about it is it's not like they were trying to look like good drag. You know, it's not like they were trying to be uh, drag people or anything. Like, they didn't try to actually do their makeup to look like a real woman. They just did their hair big, usually dyed it or bleached it. They would wear some kind of makeup. Like, you see promo photos of them where they're in lipstick with makeup on, and it's undeniably feminine, but it's not like they're trying to do their makeup like even a perform a female performer would. Like, they're not trying to do their makeup, like, in the same way that kind of, like, Madonna might or somebody like that. Like, like a woman who kind of does an eccentric presentation with, with an undeniably female look. Like, they're not even trying to do that. They're just wearing makeup and they're, they look like bad attempts at drag, essentially, is what they look like. And I guess I, I forgot that a lot of those guys wore high heels at one point. Not just platforms, but there were times where they were wearing actual high heels. And meanwhile, they were going for this ultra-masculine thing. They were going for this, like, I'm masculine, I'm a bad boy. 
Like a lot of those songs are about being like on the run and a tough guy. And that's a lot of the people who listen to it too. You know, there a lot of the people who were fans of those guys weren't put off by the fact that they were dressing like women. And then of course like the music it's like total objectification of women. It's it's actually quite strange. In the same way I was talking about like when you actually looked at a wigger objectively, like if you looked at a wigger in your school and you you weren't sitting there thinking like, "Oh, that's Josh aka Blaze and he's tough." And he's like doing what's cool right now. Like you didn't sit there like, and I mean, you would, that's kind of how you would see them because you were in that moment where that was something you saw regularly. But if you actually like removed yourself from it and you were like, this guy looks like a freak. Like he's got a bleached bowl cut glued down to his head with gel. He's, his pants are falling off. He's in like a a sweater vest that's way too big for him over a t-shirt that's way too big for him and neither of them are tucked in so it's like a dress it's like a sweater vest dress with clown pants underneath clown jeans he's wearing clown clown jeans underneath his sweater vest dress so it's it's a freakish look on its own and that's kind of how i was feeling like looking at some of these early glam guys where i was like glam metal not to be confused with glam i'm always confused about what that term even refers to i think it's i think glam rock is different than glam metal and doesn't really even make a difference to me but looking at these pictures of these guys i was like you know they just look legitimately freakish on their own and the idea is freakish where it's like we're gonna dress kind of like women and we're gonna talk about being really dangerous and we're gonna fuck lots of women that's a strange idea we're going to dress like women while we screw women and do a lot of drugs and talk about like running from the law. And tough guys in muscle cars are going to listen to us. Guys who go to jail, guys who get in fights are going to listen to us. It doesn't make immediate sense. And it's amazing that it became this whole scene. You know, it's amazing that it became the standard for popular rock metal music of that era. You know, it's amazing that that became what was popular. It's not something you could script. And, you know, I don't love the whole angle. Like, cause you'll, if you read about that stuff, if you read about that era, that like early mid eighties sunset strip era group, um, like a lot of the stories are like, Oh yeah. Well then we went to uh, the rainbow cafe and, you know, David Lee Roth was eating breakfast there. And then there was another table you know, uh, with Motley Crue and, uh, oh man, and, and so-and-so from Rat was there and he was so drunk. You know, a lot of their stories about are about like this fishbowl world they lived in where it was like, yeah, you just like go to the liquor store and, uh, you know, run into, you know, the drummer from Ozzy. You know, it, there's a lot of these stories about living in Sunset Strip at that time and it's kind of like this who's who, like fishbowl world, where you go to the Rainbow Cafe to see and be seen. And that's an interesting group, though, because it's like, it was this scene, and there were bands there that hadn't quite made it yet, and there were other bands that were trying to make it, there were some bands that had quote-unquote made it. And uh, But within that, there was a lot of competition. You think about all those guys were competing with each other. And so they were in this fishbowl world of partying and hanging out at these these same clubs and these, these same cafes and bars. But meanwhile, it's like they were all in direct raw competition with each other, which in my experience is what any creative person feels. 
but it's often hidden. Like anytime there's a music scene, people don't want to admit that they're competing. Not because there's a limited amount of interest, not because it's like there's a limited amount of like records or not because there's any actual limitation that says only this many people can do this, but there's just something inherently competitive about being a human being and especially being a creative human being because you're constantly measuring what you do next to what other people do. And even if what they do is completely different, you're still comparing it in some way. You're still in that mindset, which is what's interesting about creativity. So that Sunset Strip was probably just a much more honest version of that because it was like all these people are competing really in the same market. And they are in this world of like record deals and world tours and all that. So that adds another element to it. Uh, But uh, it doesn't sound fun to me. Like, there is a part of me where if I had a time machine, I would love to go just walk around Sunset Strip in 1984. But I wouldn't go to the Rainbow Cafe. I don't know why I'm so fixated on the Rainbow Cafe. It's a real place. It's one of those places, though, that was, like, known. Where If you went to the Rainbow Cafe uh, at midnight, you'd see... Uh, the, the, you'd see Bug Bunny. You'd see Bug Bunny and Elma Fudd. You know, it's uh, you go to the Rainbow Cafe and you'd see David Lee Roth eating ice cream. You know, it's one of those sorts of places, which like that's never attractive to me. I would just love to go and walk down the street during that era. But it is an interesting idea, you know, where it's like those guys decided to look rather freakish and live that way, too. It wasn't like they just did that on stage. It wasn't like Kiss, where it's like pretty much a stage act. Like, they're rock and rollers off the stage, but it's not like they walk around looking like Kiss. But with some of that glam metal era, I mean, it's like a lot of people lived that way all the time. Even even once they became big. And uh, I find that interesting. That that's an idea somebody had. Like, somebody had the idea to look that way. Clownish. I was watching a live video. I think it was a rat video. It was an er- a very early rat video last night. And, you know, it was a little bit low budget. Like, they were more low budget. It was pretty early on in their career. So, like, their whole thing, like, you could tell, again, they didn't have, like, a costume designer. They didn't have, like, a stylist probably yet. So you could tell they kind of did their outfits on their own. And there was a cheapness to it. I mean, that made it better. But there was a cheapness to it, which was interesting. And it was like, they were kind of going out on a limb here. You know, they were kind of going out on a limb. All those bands were. You know, I think Motley Crue credited at least with kind of kickstarting that. I don't know how true that is. Because somebody always comes up with someone before. But it seems like Motley Crue kind of created that vibe. Which it's funny because like I was talking to my friend Brandon and I, uh, we, he called, we, I called him and we were talking about this because it's fresh on my mind from looking at pictures of these guys last night and like zoning out thinking about the whole world that they operated in. Uh, but, uh, I was telling him like, you know, with Motley Crue, I was well aware of who they were when I was a kid, but like, I mean, I just missed the boat. Like my sister was seven years older and she got really into guns and roses, Metallica grunge, but she was just too young to have been a Motley Crue girl. Like Motley Crue was at their peak when she was still a little a little girl, I'd say. Like, she was under 10 when Motley Crue was really doing things. 
So she, you know, missed the boat as far as that goes. Like by the time she was old enough to actually be into music, you know, grunge had taken over. Metallica was very popular. Guns N' Roses had been popular for a few years. So she got into that end of it. Uh, but I, I knew who Motley Crue was, but it wasn't like there was anybody in my life who would sit me down. Like I didn't have an uncle who lived the best years of his life in the early 80s. I didn't have any older brothers or friends, older brothers who had gone through a Motley Crue phase. So there was nobody to sit me down and be like, no, we're, we're going to listen to Shout at the Devil all the way through. You're not leaving this house until you listen to this record all the way through, boy. You know, I didn't have anybody in my life who, you know, was going to stick something like that in my world. But I knew who Motley Crue was, of course, and I always found them kind of amusing. Like, I found just the whole act very amusing. But there was something intimidating about it, too. Because there was a sort of a reputation for danger, you know? It was like you knew that dangerous people listened to this. You know that people who party hard and tough guys listen to this. And that kind of gets into something else where... That's the, like, cause like somebody could like look at, at that through revisionist eyes and be like, oh yes, what we are seeing is, is a, a proto transgender self-expression. <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know what people say. Like, oh, you're talking about Sunset Strip, huh? Are you talking about the, the proto transgender music movement? You know, someone could look at it that way. Like these guys were trying to you know, express some sort of like feminine identity, which kind of fits with that whole way of thinking. Like when you look at it where it's like they were men who dressed like women all the time who wanted to have sex with as many women as possible. That kind of sounds like this whole like, well, I'm a man or like, well, well, I'm a, I'm a woman, but I'm still attracted to women, but I was born a man. Like, I mean, it kind of sounds like, like almost a similar thing. Of course, it's not. But what's so interesting about it is, yeah, it's like they were going for this feminine aesthetic, which wasn't new to rock. Like it was, they weren't the first people to be to to go for something that wasn't totally masculine. But it's like they tried to look like something feminine while acting in the most masculine way. I don't know. It's just it's just interesting. And I don't even find those things that interesting. I don't even find like gender bender performance shit like interesting like I don't care that David Bowie was androgynous like that kind of stuff has no appeal like it doesn't take take something away like like when I see that it's like it's I don't think like well I would have liked it if they dressed like men oh David Bowie I would have liked him if he dressed like a man more often you know I don't I don't have that attitude about it but I couldn't care one way or another I guess like I don't think it's cool that David Bowie was sometimes feminine Sometimes masculine, sometimes an alien, sometimes an Alan. Sometimes he's an alien, sometimes he's a guy named Alan. No, it doesn't make a difference to me what David Bowie did one way or another. You know, it's just none of those things is going to give or take from it. And it, I mean, I'm not a David Bowie person in general, but uh, it just none of those things factor in for me. And it's kind of the same thing with hair metal where it's like it doesn't make a difference one way or another how they look. It, It fits what they were doing. And I guess that's an interesting thing about it, where when I was a kid, I kind of got the backwash. You know, I was born in 1985. I was born December 27th, 1985. I got what, like four and a half days of 1985? 
It's funny that I get to claim 1985. I've been able to claim the credibility of 1985 my entire life when I lived for four freaking days of it. All I experienced were four days of 1985, and I get to claim it as my year. <laughs> you know, that's what's insane about birthdays. But but I really got the backwash of the glam metal thing, because you figure I'm five years old at the end of 1990. And by then, that stuff was still around. Like, in 1990, you were still having hair metal albums come out. You were still seeing that stuff on TV. It was still all around you. But it was obviously losing popularity. But I took it for granted. That's the weird thing. Is like, as a kid, I knew they looked freakish. Like, in the same way I knew that the average wigger looked really weird. Like, I knew guys in those bands looked weird. And you would still see guys who looked like that. Like, they might not be all done up like that, but, like, on occasion, like, if your family went to California for a trip, or even just you'd see random rockers, you know, you'd see random rockers who live in Seattle, where I lived, and they would look kind of like that. But you just kind of knew that was a type of person. And when you saw those bands, like, when you saw a Poison music video on TV when you were five, you just kind of accepted that that's what they were. It just kind of made sense. And I think that's what's so phenomenal about all of these things is that they just sort of make sense. Like even the Wigger thing made sense. Like when Wiggers started showing up, even though they got kind of made fun of behind their backs, like people would say, oh, he's a white dude who wants to be black. You know, even though people would say that stuff, they also kind of accepted that it made sense. If that makes sense. Like, like people kind of just were like, oh yeah, you know, Wiggers. Yeah. They're kind of ridiculous. And sometimes scary, but doesn't it make sense? <laughs> like, doesn't isn't there something that makes sense about what they're doing? And I don't think it would have been popular if it didn't make sense. I don't think that you would have had wiggers, the wigger phenomenon, across an entire country, probably in other countries too. I don't think you would have had that if it didn't make a certain sense, if there wasn't some sort of strange logic to it. And it's the same thing with glam metal, hair metal. It's like you see that and it's like, it doesn't necessarily look good. It's kind of disruptive. It's everything about it is like clashing colors, disruption, visual noise. But yet you see it and you're like, it makes a certain sense. And if you grow up around that, like if, if you came of age in the early 90s when that stuff was on its way out, you were just kind of like, oh, yeah, that's that's what like rockers look like. Oh, wiggers, that's what my peers look like. So it's weird how these things follow a certain logic, and, and it's not a given. Like, something being popular or something just existing doesn't necessarily make sense. Like, there's, there are trends that come and go, and they never really make sense, even though they picked up some steam as a trend. Like Funko Pop or something, you know? Like, I see Funko Pop dolls, and I think doesn't really make sense why those are appealing. I understand that collectibles are, but when I see like Funko Pop dolls, it's almost like somebody gave somebody like garbage. Like it's like somebody gave somebody, you know, like a popsicle stick and was like, collect this, (laughs) you know, that's almost what it feels like. It's like, it's like you gave somebody an unmolded piece of plastic and we're just like, here you go collect these. And they, they're like, sure, I love collecting things. That's almost what Funko Pop dolls are like, because they're cool collectibles. 
You know, it's like there are cool looking collectibles, but it's like something like Funko Pop dolls. And this is low hanging fruit. I'm kicking at a low hanging ball sack right now. I know that. But still, when you see Funko Pop dolls, it's like no aesthetic value. Like if you have a, a whole, st- I mean, things look bad enough. Like when people collect something and keep it in the package and they have a whole wall of them, that looks bad enough. It looks that much worse when it's a Funko Pop doll collection. And I don't, so I don't understand them. It doesn't make sense to me, but yet other trends do like wiggers somehow make sense. Hair metal somehow made sense. Some things people do and they're strange, but you just kind of go, it kind of fits. There's a logic there. And I don't think you can even describe it. I think that's magic. I think we're talking about magic, why certain things take off. And, you know, and, and it still stands to this day too. Where when I see guys who pull off the hair metal look, they still look good doing it, I guess is what I'm getting at. Like not all the guys who did that back in the day look good because there's something especially horrific about some of the fashion trends former hair metal stars took. Like a lot of leather pants, like baggy leather pants, like Goo Goo Dolls hair. Like, they, they all got this haircut for a while. Like, all the former hair metal guys in the in the 2000s, when you'd see them, they would have, like, a, like a, a soccer mom haircut, even, like, colored the same way. Like, they would get, like, a... I don't even know what you call it, but it's like, it's like when a soccer mom gets, like, her hair dyed, like, dark blonde with just, like, very subtle highlights. Like, they would get that treatment. It's like they went to a soccer mom salon and asked to have their hair, get like, the same way as all the moms... And then they would wear like baggy leather pants and it just, I don't know, or like like a hockey jersey, you know, just things like that. Like they really went off the deep end. Like you'd think that they would have just kept doing what they always did where it was like, oh, we're always going to dress like weird clownish women. And as we get older, it's going to get maybe a little bit weirder because we're old. But they didn't really do that. They decided to like asked their stylist like what guys should look like in 1999 and their stylist was like get a soccer mom haircut and wear a backwards beret and um you know wear baggy leather pants but play in a band that has a dj you know for whatever reason that's the direction they went whereas i think it would have been more respectable like even if they were like saggy old men still dressing like women there would have been something more respectable about always looking that way but it's not very sustainable either. But but no, when you see somebody who does do it, like when you every once in a while you'll see somebody who's deliberately going for a retro look and they try to look like an old glam metal guy. And the look still stands. I mean, I guess that's what's interesting about it. And like I would say the same is true for Wiggers, <laughs> you know, honestly. Uh like where it's like there's still something about it that makes strange sense. Like it's horrible. Like, it's a horrible look. It's a horrible way of conducting yourself. Like, everything about being a wigger is socially reprehensible. But yet, it still kind of makes sense to me. And maybe it's like a you kind of had to be there thing. Like, maybe you had to grow up when those people were around, when it made sense for them to hop on that train. Because I don't know what a kid today would think of it. Like, if you're a kid today and you're like 12 years old and your uncle is a wigger... Like you're, you're 12 years old, your uncle's like the cool uncle 
but he's like 35 to 40 years old and he's a wigger. Like, what do you think about that? Because when you would meet people who did have like a rocker uncle, and I did know that, I, I knew a family, those rednecks that I always talk about, like they had a rocker uncle and he was into all that stuff. Like he had his best days when all that stuff was at its peak. I think he graduated high school in the late 70s. And so he was just partying it up. He was like in his 20s. He was into Motley Crue. He was into all that stuff. He had long hair. He would have parties at his house all the time. So he was like that cool uncle. But it wasn't like I didn't understand like what made him. Like I understood that he he liked to drink beer and smoke pot and listen to Motley Crue. And he wore wife beater tank tops. And some of the people who came to his parties looked really scary and tough. But I, and I, you know, I kind of understood where all of it came from in a way, but with wiggers, it seems more mysterious. Like if you were a little kid and you had a wigger uncle, same exact scenario as I described as the rocker uncle. Like if you had a wigger uncle and he was doing all those same things, but he was just, he looked the way he does and he listens to a bunch of rap. Like, what would you think about like where that even came from? Is that? Is the wigger so grandfathered into our culture that a kid could be born today and not question it? I don't know. But, uh... One second here. But going back to the the idea of, like, people accepting this thing, that's the interesting thing about it. It kind of relates to that female protagonist discussion where I was saying how like it's a it's a search category on a video game website to like search for games by female protagonist. And when I was growing up, like nobody cared. Like people would play Final Fantasy games with female protagonists. People would play Tomb Raider. They would play Metroid. And like people either liked the fact that it was a female or they didn't care. Like I knew a lot of different types of people and nobody who played video games was sitting there going like, Tomb Raider would be fucking cool, dude, but it sucks you have to be a girl. Oh, Metroid, uh, Metroid was my favorite game until I found out it was a girl. You know, nobody was saying that. Oh, Final Fantasy, I, I liked it until I found out it was a girl. You know, nobody was saying things like that. And so the idea of like now being like, we are producing games with female protagonists. It's like nobody had a problem with that before. And those games were successful, very successful. Some of the most successful games ever. So it's weird to try to like act like you're being so progressive by being like, we have a new genre. It's called female protagonist. It's like, who are you trying to, you know, whose ass are you trying to kiss? But, uh, I mean, it's, it's sort of how I feel about hair metal where nobody seemed to care that these guys looked like women. You would hear people make fun of it. Like people who didn't like hair metal would be like, they look like girls. But then you'd say like, but then those same people would be like, but they get laid so much, you know. So it, it, it didn't seem to be a problem to them. And, and part of that is because those guys did go for this, like, I'm, I'm just a bad boy. I look like a girl, but I'm a bad boy. And so, like, they somehow communicated to people that it was okay to listen to that and still be a man. And that goes, you know, talking about that family I knew, the rednecks, the redneck family I was close to, where it was like they were into that stuff. Like, they were into Motley Crue. They liked hair metal. They were macho people. They liked sports. You know, they were um, not progressive 
at all. They were pagans. You know, my three points that I always make with rednecks and like blue collar people, it's always like, they're the real pagans. They use napkins and this all, that all comes from just, I mean, I've gone on this rant before, but you know, next girlfriend of mine made a comment once where she was like, actual poor people can't afford paper towels. And I was like, the poorest people I've ever known have like paper towels coming out of their windows of their house, you know, like the poorest people I've ever known, like use like part of a napkin once and throw it out. Like they use so many napkins. I didn't know that people used uh, cloth napkins. Like I didn't know that people used reusable cloth napkins until I started going to liberal progressive adults houses. Like, I didn't know that people did that until I went to a liberal's house. You know what I mean? So it's like the idea that like, oh, yeah, there there are certainly people out there who are so poor they can't afford to buy napkins they're going to throw away. There are people who are so poor they can't afford to buy paper towels that they're just going to throw away. I, that, I'm sure that's true. But speaking from my own experience, like poor families that I knew, like you'd go to their house and they'd, you'd walk in the door and they'd be like, here's a napkin. <laughs> or you just see like a stack, like a Costco stack of napkins, like in the corner of the living room, you know, that's what I grew up around. So this idea of like, Oh, poor people don't use napkins. Poor people can't afford paper towels. It's like poor people buy more paper towels than you do. But anyway, so that's like, those are my points. Like, like rednecks are the real pagans. Poor people use a lot of napkins. And then these people are way less judgmental about things than you realize. Uh, where it's like, they're listening to like all these bands of guys who are wearing drag. Like, I'd go over to that family's house on a sunny day, and yeah, you might very well hear all kinds of 80s rock, 80s metal by dudes that are dressed in drag. And the family didn't sit there and go like, hmm, are we... Are we going to listen to this, kids? Are we going to listen to these girly men? They didn't do that. They just, they thought it rocked. They realized these people were a band. They realized that they were performers. But it didn't seem to bother them that they were like, you know, listening to that. Um, So we live in this world now where it's like, you look at that through the lens of today and it's like, oh, well, uh, the word wigger is a bad word. And how do we reconcile hair metal bands with the transgender movement? Those people who liked that stuff didn't care. They would never think about any of that stuff. They accepted it. You know, maybe it would have been different if Motley Crue were like, no, 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 you don't understand. We're women. You know, maybe it would have been a different story if they were going for that. If Motley Crue or anybody, if Poison, any of these bands that wore makeup, said, oh, no, 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 we're not just going for a stage act. We are women. If Motley Crue said that, some people might have gotten uncomfortable, you know, obviously. I'm not saying these people are, they're the real progressives. Because, I mean, I hate that whole thing. Oh, Republicans are the real progressives. Liberals are the real racists. Even though all those things, you know... A point can be made. It's like, I always hate when that's the, the argument. They're the real thing they hate. Liberals hate racists because they're the real racists. I feel like you've lost the argument if you're going there. 
So it's like, I'm not trying to say rednecks are the real progressives because they listened to Motley Crue and didn't care that they wore makeup. Because, yeah, the second Motley Crue turned around and said, we want all of our fans to call us she. You know, like if they started saying that, some of those people would be like, this is weird. This is fucked up, dude. Can't listen to that no more. Can't listen to that no more. People probably would have had a problem with that. It would have shook them. But I guess like a point I'm getting at in all this is that it's amazing what people will accept. It's amazing what becomes normal. Like the fact that wiggers were considered normal in my school. The fact that it was like, it was weird. Like, God, those guys talk weird. They wear weird clothes. They're kind of threatening. But you accepted that they that, that was an identity. Like you accepted that that was a valid identity. And while you would never have done it, you kind of accepted it in this strange way. And you realized, at least I realized, that it was about more than just white guys wanting to be black. It was its own mutant thing. And you think about the suburbs, too, where I don't know what Wiggers were like in areas with a bigger black population. My school had very few black kids, so that made the Wiggers go off in a completely different direction, I think, than they otherwise would have. Because I think Wiggers who were surrounded by black students would have been different. I think that would have made them different. I think it would have made them maybe toe the line a little more. They would have had, like, you know, these people that they admire. And so, I don't know, I think they would have towed the line a little bit more in schools where there's more black students. But in my environment, where there's, like, three black kids in each grade, the Wiggers were basically allowed to mutate on their own because they weren't just sitting there, like, measuring themselves up against the black kids. They were just off on their own trip. They really were on their own trip. And we just accepted it. We were like, that might not be the smartest decision. That might not be the best path in life that you're choosing, dear old Wigger. But you are kind of an accepted identity. Like, I can kind of deal with the fact that you are a type of person who exists in my world. Like, I kind of wish I lived in a time where you were a greaser. But that said, you're probably closer to a greaser than I am. Like, you're probably closer to being a greaser, Wigger, than the kid who is into rockabilly and wears, like, cramp shirts and wears a leather jacket with a pompadour. You're probably more of a greaser than he is. Because you're bad. And greasers were the actual bad kids of their day. Like, you think a greaser in the 1950s was somebody that you'd walk up to and be like, what's your favorite rockabilly riff? You get punched. Like, in the same way I was talking about, like, Wiggers didn't really have that deep of an investment in, like, art or culture or music. Like, they were into that stuff, but it's not like they had really, like, some nuanced take. It's not like they were nerds. Like, if you went up to a Wigger and you were like, uh... Which uh, hip-hop producer you think uh, has the best production style? Uh-huh. Yeah. Me too. Now, it's not like you could have that kind of conversation with them. You know, with greasers, it's like, it's the same thing. Like, you're not going to go up to a greaser in the in the 1950s and be like, 
what do you think of the fuzz box that uh, Dick Dale used? You know, it's like, you're not going to go up and talk to them about that stuff. So, yeah, I think wiggers are closer to greasers than anybody else. But I accepted it. You know, I just kind of accepted that that was a type of person. I accepted in the culture at large, in pop culture, that hair metal was a type of musician. And it seemed completely normal to me. It seemed totally normal to me that that's what famous hard rock metal musicians looked like and did. And they seemed like they were having a lot of fun doing it. And to the point where, like, my view of Los Angeles to this day is through the lens of hair metal. Like, I went down to Santa Monica to visit two friends of mine. Uh, you know, it's been seven years. I don't know. It was, it was a, some years back. But when I got there, like, the plane landed and my friend picked me up. And, like, the second we got to his house in Santa Monica, we started drinking beer and I wanted to listen to Def Leppard. You know, obviously an English band, but, you know, they're connected to all that. And I, I wanted to listen to not just Def Leppard, but I wanted to listen to, like, Pour Some Sugar on Me. You know, I wanted to listen to, like, the most Los Angeles-sounding thing. I wanted to totally feel that Sunset Strip vibe when I got there. I was, like, looking at palm trees, enjoying the, the nice, you know, warm weather, thinking about kind of that vibe. And I still drank then, so I was like, yeah, let's drink, and I want to listen to some Def Leppard, and I, you know, I just want to soak in this feeling, because that feeling is all based on this view of Los Angeles that hair metal bands on Sunset Strip gave us way back when. These bands who I think of as totally normal, but in reality, they're killer clowns too. In reality, they might as well be killer clowns too, because they look like clowns in their weird drag outfits. But yet there's something dangerous about them. Wiggers, too. They look like clowns, but there's something dangerous about them. So if you're going to look like a clown and you want to be cool, make sure there's something dangerous about you. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can 